Sit down if you want to. Right in the middle of what's going on. I'm in the middle of an interrogation. Take a seat, young Skywalker. The middle children of history, man. Middle of the day, Alfred? Please, take a seat there. Right now, I'm in the middle of nowhere. Stop the middle, it's a base hit! Meeting in the middle. Fight, fight. They fought for the freedom of middle. 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 The middle of the middle of the middle. The middle of a war! Friggin' ridiculous! Why don't we have a seat to talk about? No! Not the middle seat! Hello all, human and alien. Welcome to the Middle Seats Podcast, the best seat in the house for all things movies and entertainment. I am your captain tonight, Mr. Andrew Ojay. Let's meet my trusty crew aboard this fun movie adventure. He gives all the boys and girls in town a Tom Hardy, Mr. Nate Lungarini. <laughs> How we doing, everybody? Good to be here. We got a fun, very wildly different kind of set of reviews tonight. I'm very excited for it. This should be good. Did no one say anything about my pun? Oh. I didn't get it. You know, like a hardy, like hard. Uh, anyway, mm. I'm not going to linger on it. He's uh, as a, he's as appealing as Topher Grace in Spider-Man 3, Mr. Jake Hensler. There it is. You know what? He's got a fun laugh, so I'll take that. There's been worse. He was, he was good at that 70s show. Anyway, if you're just joining us for the first time, we are the Middle Seats Podcast, the best seat in the house for all things movies and entertainment. Our show is typically divided into three distinct segments. We usually talk about some kind of topic that has to do with movies or tv that one of the crew members have come up with it's our lobby talk segment as you would talk in the lobby of a movie theater then we get into our news segment the biggest news of the week obviously and then we get into a feature review non-spoiler and spoiler of the biggest movie of the week however this week and a lot of weeks going forward there are multiple movies that we need to get to so tonight is going to be a very special double review extravaganza episode of the middle seats podcast we will have a lobby talk uh, it is Jake's week to introduce that, so Jake will get into that in a minute. But then we will have reviews of both the superhero, anti-hero, blockbuster Venom, and the musical drama A Star is Born. So guys, a pack slate, a lot to get into here. Let's not waste any time. Let's head right into Lobby Talk. Let's all go to the lobby. You're in the lobby? What do you look like? before you can make the lobby. So for this week's lobby talk, I was kind of thinking over a couple minutes and uh, I realized, you know, as many of you have, that Hollywood just remakes and remakes and adds sequels and prequels and spinoffs and then remakes them again. And I thought, what are they going to do next that they haven't done already? So Harry Potter has been done, obviously. They did Fantastic Beasts. Marvel movies galore, Justice League and DC movies galore, Alien movies galore, Predator movies galore. There are just tons of them. What haven't they done that I think they can do next? And I'm very curious to see what Mr. Nate Longarini has. I want him to start this conversation. Alrighty. So I was thinking about some movie classics that haven't been remade. Because obviously we're talking about Star is Born that's already been remade three times. And each time it's gets updated with the times. And that brought me to To Kill a Mockingbird. Now, that is a classic movie. I'd argue that it's almost beyond iconic to the point of, like, legendary. Uh, Gregory Peck's as Atticus Finch is iconic in every sense of the word. Uh, and I might even make the argument that they shouldn't remake this movie, but I just feel like all of the... The pressure points are there. It's about racial tensions in a time where we're dealing with a lot of police shootings. 
uh, a lot of sensitive topics in that regard. And I think that it could be pitched as a more modern update on a fairly timeless story, all things said and done. It'll be interesting. Um, what do you guys think about that? That's very true because it's a very well-known and very, very well-received story. Um, that is accurate. It hasn't been done before. And it's also, like you said, it's still um, you know, really relevant today, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, very unfortunately. I mean, it was one of my favorite books uh, that we had to read for high school. One of those required, you know, you had The Great Gatsby and you had mm-hmm. the other ones, Glass Menagerie, um, Tale of Two Cities. And that was one of my favorite ones just because the characters are so compelling. Um, it's just tough because that movie is so good to kill a mockingbird. It's hard for me to wrap my head around the f- how they would do things better. And you're going to see when I approach the question, I think a little bit differently than Nate did. Um, and you'll see that when I get into my topic, but if they could cast the right actors and they get someone that could update the story, but not disrespect how good the original vision from Atticus right. Finch was, then okay, well, I would give it a shot. Right. Like, I think it's got to be somebody who's passionate about the material, not just looking for good reviews, like wants to actually make this and make it well again. Yeah. Cause it, it could set itself up very easily as just like Oscar bait. Like, right. oh, who's going to have the great monologue there to get that best actor award? Um, and that's not what this movie should be. Like, this is this would be a legacy movie. Absolutely. If anything. Right. And the original film is so, like, subtle in how good it is. You know it would be, like, very showy and, like, bombastic with the performances. Like, mm-hmm. fucking Renee Zellweger or someone, like, would try to win an Oscar <laughs> or something like that. Reese Witherspoon. Reese Witherspoon, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like try to cast like Denzel Washington or something as the accused. <laughs> and like, he would go off. Yeah. Samuel yeah. L. Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good pick, Nate. Really, really interesting topic. I don't know if I'm quite for or against it per se, but I like I like the topic. What about you, Andrew? Yeah, see, like, like I alluded to before, I think we approach the question a little bit differently. I don't know. Jake, I know your pick, but I don't know what you're going to say about it. So mm. I'll leave that vague. But the way I approach it is that a lot of the times, these are movies that don't need to be remade, but it's me kind of trying to jump ahead of the inevitable and looking at trends and just kind of in my head being like, okay, this is something that is on the radar that will be happening, and I'm going to deeply sigh when it happens. And then the one movie that stood out to me is a movie that I feel like has been remade so many times in different forms, and that's E.T., if you look especially throughout the last 10 or 15 years, nostalgia is all the rage. All these like 80s movies with like big kid crowds and big kid casts and like a ragtag group of misfits and they go on some kind of supernatural adventure. J.J. Abrams did this with Super 8. There's Earth to Echo. Um, I'm not going to count It because It obviously was a book around the same time as when E.T. came out. That was part of the original mm. movement. But my point is people have been making E.T., since E.T. came out. They've been remaking it pretty much every couple of years. And kudos for Spielberg because nobody's done it even close right. to as good since. <laughs> you can't top the master. That's the thing. No. So in my head, there's some Hollywood executive just sitting at his desk right like now like, oh, well, we've remade E.T. so many times in different forms. Why don't we do the actual thing? And they make, you know, they make E.T. like a guy that wears a hoodie or like not, but like a Alvin and the Chipmunks <laughs> e. type E.T. like purple or something. 
Right, exactly. It's <laughs> they up they update his uh, design, kind of like the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. They give him like a weird looking face, even more weird face than the big toe that he's got on his head. Anyway, um, <laughs> ET FaceTime home. No, <laughs> <laughs> right, like it's stuff like that. There no. would be like those little flourishes that they would add that they would think were so clever, or they would have someone say like, "Why doesn't he just call home?" Well, he can't, or something like that. They would take a famous <laughs> line and they would repurpose it. So I'm yeah. not saying I'd be excited for that, but. That is the first one that came to mind where I'm like, oh, shit, that's something that definitely has been talked about. Yeah. Uh, it's actually really funny that you bring this one up, Drew, because I was just skimming through YouTube earlier today, and I stumbled upon a video comparing the differences between the original release of E.T. and the 2002 remaster version. Oh, yeah. And all they... the CGI scenes that they added in um, and all the changes they made. Right, with the flashlight and, and the guns and... Yeah, exactly. Like a lot of lot of stuff that honestly just tarnished the original because the choices they made. And Spielberg has come out and said, This was a mistake. I should not have done that. And I feel like I'd feel the exact same way if they tried to remake E. T. now. Especially if they try to like update the references and whatnot. Just yeah. like oh, like no, I can no, 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 I bet no. what they'll do is they'll wait till Spielberg <laughs> dies and then they'll be like, Oh, he, he's not here to perk exactly. Oh yeah, this is this is an honorary movie. Celebrating his legacy, R- R- totally their not hands together. <laughs> He's <laughs> right, exactly. Just like on his grave and stuff. Okay, maybe that was a yes. little dark. Go, you know go, I mean. do yeah. it. Add Jaws there. Go. <laughs> yeah, no. Jaws cameo when? No, I oh, could. God. Jaws is another good one. Oh, yeah. Like Ugh. I could see. Um, I could see in the right hands to kill a mockingbird being done. Okay, Jaws and ET would just be like, what are you doing? Right. How do you? In my cha- opinion, how do you, you change doing? like perfection? Those movies yeah. are perfect. What they're going out to accomplish, they do perfectly. And I know Jaws might trigger some people, but, you know. (laughs) Um, Actually, I'm sure Nate feels that way. Memento is, for some ungodly reason, in the works of being remade, which makes no sense. Uh, Yeah. You got to keep me far away from the production team. (laughs) (laughs) Makes absolutely... There would be some sabotage. (laughs) Makes absolutely zero sense. But in a a way that... I don't know if this is a really good segue or not. Andrew's better at these than I am. But uh, the one I'm going to talk about is a trilogy. The first one is highly, highly well regarded. It kind of changed sci-fi a little bit. Um, the second one is mixed, and the third one is just kind of what the fuck. Uh, uh, the Jake, Matrix. I know what you're talking about, but <laughs> Spy Kids is actually a quadrilogy. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, that that I could see them remaking again, but no, I'm talking about The Matrix. The Matrix was so successful, at least the first one when it came out, I could absolutely see somebody going you know what, the first one's great, but I can do it just as good and amp up the second and third ones to be better. And I I doubt they'll get the first one even close to as good as, as it is now, but because they're so successful, I could see them adding prequels and spinoffs to a world like that. Especially because there's just this big sci-fi world with a lot of material, I could absolutely see them doing it. Now, I think I might be setting off Nate here, but let me throw out a name for who would be a good person to do it. Ryan Johnson. Uh... I, I could see that. I could see um, Villeneuve also. Yeah, yeah, Denis I Villeneuve, could see that too. You know, Blade Runner, Arrival, Sicario, for those who don't know, Prisoners. I could see that guy doing it. Both directors are good choices, I feel. I just feel like the casting is the hardest thing to nail because That's you true. still have Lawrence Fishburne and obviously Keanu Reeves as the lead that are they're old, but they're still rocking the same types of right. characters that they started right. doing way back true. then. Keanu Reeves is borderline cooler than he was back then. Yeah, John Wick right. is so badass. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, he had such a research yeah. with John they'd, Wick. They'd have to get some really young 
like either unknown or some young up and coming talent that not mm -hmm. that many people know. Here's a, a little or known fact. They actually made a series of short films called the Animatrix, right. which explored explored more of the Matrix universe um, with like little five minute chunks all by different creators. It was a really cool compilation. I'd highly recommend it if you're into it. And I prefer they went a live action route with some of those stories rather than trying to remake cool. the the new Matrix because there's some really great material. It's such a cool concept, and mm -hmm. obviously the first one's amazing. Like that's an easy royal throne for me. Uh, and I actually don't mind the sequels, but they definitely are not great. No, I haven't. Yeah, I, I mind them. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen the sequels in a while. I rewatched the first one again over the summer. Absolutely love it. It's been a while since I've seen two and three. Um, even as a kid, when I saw three, I remember going, uh, dad, I don't get it. And he was like, you know, I don't think I do either. And I was like, what, what do you, you don't get it either. What do you mean? Like, <laughs> you're, you're the adult. You're supposed to get it. Yeah. And here's the thing about like, I don't want to watch another matrix revolutions. So like I would, I'd, yeah, yeah. I'd yeah. be okay with more stories inside the matrix world. But, like, I don't need to see the original film again, and I certainly do not need to see Matrix Revolutions or Matrix Reloaded again. So, yeah, I think adapting the Animatrix might be a decent idea. Or, like, mm -hmm. coming up with stories of that type, kind of like what Star Wars is doing with their spinoffs. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I could see that. I could buy that. Cool. Yeah, I actually could, too. <laughs> it's always good when we agree on something to end a segment, so I think... Are we all set on this? Mm -hmm. Amen. The final point that I want to make is that basically, you know, Hollywood will do whatever they want. They don't listen to us. So right. this is all pointless and life is meaningless. Anyway, <laughs> that'll do it for Lobby Talk. It <laughs> is time to, to get into our double review extravaganza. First, we are Venom. I'm Eddie Brock. I'm a reporter. I found something really bad. This is a new race, a new species. A higher life form. And when I see it, we can do whatever we want. Do we have a deal? You have no idea how much you're scaring me right now. We are Venom. So during the rolling of that trailer, Jake took the time to take offense to me saying we are Venom. So I'm offering a retraction right now. We are not Venom. Sorry, Jake. <laughs> No, we are Riot. Uh, we are... <laughs> People don't even know what that means. <laughs> Nobody knows what that means. We'll get into that more in a bit. Uh, Venom is directed by Ruben Fleischer, who burst onto the scene almost 10 years ago at this point. Can you believe Zombieland is almost 10 years old? Yeah. No. That's that's yeah. crazy. Yeah. Jeez, that means Emma Stone is 10 years older. Yeah. Anyway, he followed up Zombieland with a couple of mediocre movies. He made Gangster Squad with Josh Brolin, Ryan Gosling, Emma Stone. That was mediocre. 30 Minutes or Less, that's with uh, Aziz Ansari and Jesse Eisberg, Danny McBride. That's also mediocre. I forgot he did that. So he's one for three, but apparently that was enough for Sony to be like, "You let's give you Venom. A um, little background, <laughs> of course. Spidey is off in the MCU, hanging out with the Avengers, trying to defeat Thanos right now. Well, Venom, he's just kind of hanging out in San Francisco. They might cross over at some point, but this is just a Venom story. It's the origin of how... Eddie Brock, played by Tom Hardy, became Venom. Brock, he's a journalist in San Francisco. He discovers some potentially illegal alien experimentation. He becomes infected with the symbiote, which bonds him with this vicious alien creature named Venom. 
Besides Tom Hardy, it stars Michelle Williams, Riz Ahmed, Jenny Slate, Reed Scott from Veep. Pretty decent cast. Reviews have not been very decent. Uh, We've kind of talked about this movie in the past on the podcast, kind of what our expectations were for it based on the trailers that we've seen. What does it come down to? Jake, let's start with you. What did you think preliminarily of Venom? So Venom was quite the experience. I I found myself honestly semi-enjoying it while I was watching it. And then on the drive home, I went, no, not really. Not really, no. I changed. I pretty much took me all of 15 minutes to change my mind. Um, so honestly, this movie is pretty much only watchable because of Tom Hardy. If they got somebody else who just didn't commit or get the role right, this would have been so much worse. It's bad. It is just structured poorly. It is just unsure of what's going on. It's got a a rough third act, in my opinion. I, I know some I've heard some people say the first half was worse. I've heard some say the first half was better. I think the third act was rough. And I think if not for Tom Hardy, this would have been an utterly, utterly bad. He pretty much saves the movie and reinstates why he's one of my all-time favorite actors working today. He just, even in really rough projects, he shines. Long story short, I love Tom Hardy. I was not a particular fan of Venom, the movie. That's a super interesting take given our past shit-talking of Tom Hardy (laughs) based on the trailer. Um, Yeah, I know. I really (laughs) thought he was going to be bad based on the trailer, but I think he pretty much saved it for me. Right. Uh, Nate, where are you as far as this goes? Are are you sure we're not Venom, Jake? Because I feel like we bonded here just by listening to you talk. That was good. Nice. (laughs) I got a lot of the same same thoughts as you, buddy, so I'll just elaborate on what you already mentioned. Um, I feel like... The first half of this movie might be a little slow to some, um, but I personally liked it because it made sense. That's kind of how I felt. That all went out the window at the third act. <laughs> That's kind of how I felt. I'm like, all right, it's not it's not nonsense. It's not great, but it's not nonsense. And the third mm-hmm. act, I was like, what are these blobs doing? I don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, I've, I've seen some sloppy, sloppy endings, and that was... That was something else. <laughs> Tom Hardy um, as Eddie Brock and Venom, that worked. And it, it kind of hurts because you could see glimmers of hope in a ray of murk because nothing the rest of the movie does helps support what he's trying to do here with the character. Yeah, <laughs> it was one of those where I was never bored. There was always something going on, but it, half of it was me throwing my hands up saying what (laughs) in the theater (laughs) so not rave reviews for me either buddy um i think we're all in the same place as far as overall but i think i kind of shuffle my where i enjoyed it this is a bad movie through and through but it's a different kind of bad movie for me in the first and second half the first half okay it might be competent like i kind of understand (laughs) the development of stuff but like it i thought it was really dull like, the first hour or so, I was having not trouble staying awake, but just being like, can we please move this along? The storytelling's really not good. The character, what character? It jumps ahead in time in a most inexplicable way that, like, I just was like, oh, this is really how we're going to – we have no no other yeah, way to no do this. there's no real okay, timeline going on. They're just kind of like, right. this happened, and then this happened, and then this happened, whenever they happened. Right. That <laughs> jump in time creates, like, a couple of really big plot holes that we'll get into in spoilers. Um, 
it reminded me a lot of like movies back in like the mid two thousands. Like everybody's trying to model stuff right now off of the MCU. Um, but this was this was like they didn't have any kind of DVDs of, around except for like Ben Affleck's Daredevil and like <laughs> Thomas Jane's Punisher oh, no. and the first Nicolas Cage Ghost Rider. Not even the crazy one. That's what the whole first half felt like to me. I'm like, did I jump in a fucking time capsule right now? Like, what am I watching here? Uh, and then it takes him way too long to become Venom. But when he eventually does become Venom, then this shit goes off the rails. Like, <laughs> Nate, you're right. Like, there was a lot of moments where I was like, wait, what? Wait, what? But, like, that was so much more fun for me right. than what had come before that. That, like, yes, the third act is completely a mess. I completely agree. Nonsense. But I was just kind of – it was mesmerizing. Like, I was just like, <laughs> we're really doing this, huh? Like, the, you just did that and you just did that and you're expecting me to forgive that and, like <laughs> – You're expecting me to understand what's happening right now? Okay. <laughs> right. And I really agree with you, Jake, that – they take the reins off of Tom Hardy's performance about the time where the Venom transformation becomes. And then he just, he, I, I have no words, honestly, for what he's doing. Like one of my favorite comparisons that I saw on Twitter is everybody thinks they're in this really serious movie. And then Tom Hardy thinks he's in like fucking Ace Ventura. <laughs> and like, yeah, that's completely true. He is just in a different movie than anyone else. And he's in a better movie. And this is a bad movie, but like Nate, you kind of alluded to this, like, I would watch another one with him in this role. Yep. And that's the thing. I, Me and a few of my other friends have debated whether, like, you know, depending on how it does, will we get sequels? Because his contract has already said he's doing more. And I was like, if the reviews yeah. are bad, we'll see. It'll really depend on money. And it's making the money. Right now the money's good. So we, yeah. there's a good chance we'll get another one. It overdid projections by probably about $20 million. Wow. I think they underestimated how much buzz there was going for this. Good or yeah. bad buzz. You know yeah. what I mean? I've had a lot of people come up to me and ask me how it is. Um, and I've told them straight up how I feel about it. And they're still like, eh, I might give yeah, my own I've, chance. I've, I've had I'm an like, experience right. like that. Yep. I also think this, this should have had an R rating because there are times straight up it's off screen, but he eats people's heads. It's off screen, but it's there. They talk about it. I think there could have been a little bit better or stronger direction had they allowed an, an R rating because Venom, I think could have been funnier. And I think the action could have been a little more violent, which could have been a little bit more stylized. I think it would have helped for a handful of scenes, but honestly, all the movie's biggest problems isn't the violence. Yeah. Like, there is one cool action scene, like, where we first see Eddie, like, bonded with the suit, take out a whole bunch of guards in, like, this misty area. And yeah. There are good things and bad things about that scene, but overall, I think it works, and it doesn't need an R rating for that scene to work. That's true. But, like, the story, the other characters going on here... Nothing R-rated would have helped. It was it was a lost cause the way it is. Right. It's like they tried to set up character for, like, some of the side actors. They waste pretty much everyone except Tom Hardy. Like, Michelle Williams, what the hell? Like, why her out of everybody? We saw how good she could be in, like, Manchester by the Sea. Yeah, she's fantastic. Like, what is the point? Why her? Riz Ahmed, same thing. We've yeah. seen how good he can I be. I actually think Riz Ahmed, although his character was pretty one-note, he plays that one-note pretty well. Like, he's this, this kind of... Like, reserved, but still kind of dark, intimidating, you know, bad CEO guy. It's been done a million times before, but I think he does it pretty well. If we're just going to talk about other characters. Yeah, because he's a professional. But, like, <laughs> he's doing all the work because it's like they are trying to set up – they, like, vaguely hint at conflicts between Eddie and Michelle Williams' character and Eddie and Riz Ahmed's character. And then, like, 
there's like a long stretch of time where it's just stuff happening. And it's like, oh, yeah, we should get back to the character. So that third act is just like, oh, by the way, this is their motivation. Oh, by the way, this is their motivation. This is how they feel right now. And it's like, uh, like we could have spreaded this out a little bit better. It's just so sloppily told. And as we keep hammering in, it's Tom Hardy not doing what he was told to do, making this work. It's like <laughs> yeah. we, he talked earlier this week about how there's like just 40 minutes cut out of this movie. And then I did some more research after I saw the movie and I was like, no, this is probably just 40 minutes of him just – off the rails. I hope they release it. I'm though. sure they will. I'm sure it'll be. A DVD <laughs> I hope they do. I want to see that extra. 40 minutes. Anyway, I think really it might be good to start to pivot to spoilers. I agree. Do you guys agree with that? Yeah. Okay. Yes. We're going to give our ratings first. If you are just joining us for the first time, the middle seats, we rate on the seat scale. If we think it's an amazing movie, no flaws whatsoever, we give it a royal throne. If it's a movie with minimal flaws, it's a really, really good movie, we give it a plush recliner. If it's a movie with some glaring flaws but more good than bad, we give it a wooden seat. If it's the inverse of that where it's more bad than good, we give it a damp lawn chair. And if it's a movie with no redeeming qualities whatsoever, we give it a sleazy outhouse. Those are the ratings. Jake, since you started the discussion, what would you give Venom? Um, I give Tom Hardy a beautiful, wonderful plush recliner in a beautiful – living room where he can just relax and do whatever he wants while Sony's Venom sits outside on the damn launcher. <laughs> That's what we're doing <laughs> they now? They sit outside I'm on the damn I'm tired of the launcher. indecisive ratings, so now we're giving different ratings to different parts of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to hammer home how good Tom Hardy was. He does not deserve this damn launcher. Sony does. <laughs> yes, the movie itself, I'm giving a damn launcher, and my goodness, they better thank Tom Hardy for everything he did because without him, this movie is worse. He's the only reason it's any fun. He's pretty much the only reason it's, like, watchable. But what about Eminem's soundtrack at the end? I don't care. <laughs> I like Eminem. I don't even care. <laughs> that, was, that was weird. <laughs> it's very 2002. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Go ahead, Nate. What do you give it? All righty. So I'm also going to give this one a damp lawn chair. Um, it was pretty clear cut for me. The, the good parts of the chair is Tom Hardy. Let's, we're going to keep saying that over and over because it's honestly the only good thing we can talk about this movie. Everything else, like the silliest motivation for characters, including Tom Hardy and Venom, but especially with the supporting cast, especially with the villain, uh, and it literally, it's a hands thrown up your hair, what are you doing kind of movie. So easy damp lawn chair, no bag of popcorn necessary. Uh, wait till it comes out on demand. You guys ever seen Life of Pi? Mm-hmm. Actually, no. Okay, well, in Life of Pi, there is a Indian boy trying to survive out at sea, and he's, like, floating on a raft. I- I'm going to replace the raft with a damp lawn chair, and Tom Hardy's, like, trying to stir that shit to shore because this thing <laughs> is a sinking ship without its star. Pure and simple. Could you imagine if they were, like... They called up, like, Sam Claflin. I I like Sam Claflin, but, like, Jai Courtney, and they were like, we want you to play Venom. We think you're the face of this new Sony franchise. And that's just the extreme example. Like, Tom Hardy is an A-plus actor because he makes things that should not work, work. If they had gotten B-plus or below, we'd be shoveling the sleazy outhouse. I'm telling you right now, Mm -hmm. this movie is horrendous without him. And, like, with him... It's merely bad, you know? 
<laughs> I'm like, I'm trying to think of like who else could even make this work, and it's it's pretty slim pickings. Like al- almost anybody else, any other actor would have just been like. Even another good know. actor. It I'm trying sucked. to imagine a Leo in a Venom costume right now. <laughs> <laughs> I want to see. It was really that. surprising when he signed aboard this movie. We were all like, "Really? Why?" And, why? and then it was like, "Oh, that's what? why," because he was just going to troll everybody the whole time. I see. <laughs> <laughs> He's going to show everybody. Yeah. Up. What's up with that weird accent? Oh, that's on purpose. He is just doing whatever he wants. Okay. All right, I get it. Anyway. <laughs> That'll do it for the non-spoiler section of Venom. If you have not seen Venom, tune out now. Skip ahead if you want to hear the non-spoiler section of our A Star is Born review. You can see the time codes in the description. If you have seen the movie, jump into our spoiler section. Whoa! Oh, spoiler alert. Spoiler! Spoiler! Excuse me, spoiler alert! So guys, let's just, let's start from the end here. Uh, and just in Please. what may be one of the worst post-credit scenes I've ever seen, uh, Woody Harrelson is seen as. <laughs> I'm already laughing. Uh, yeah. Yep. Me too. Woody Harrelson's hairpiece F. The fact that he actually calls himself Carnage F minus F minus <laughs> minus. Go home. I was ready to leave. There apparently was something at the very end of the movie. Uh, I, was, I didn't see it. Oh, I didn't. This know. actually annoyed me even more than the post-credit scene. It was a tease for the new Spider-Man animated movie, Into the Spider-Verse. Oh, are you serious? And don't get me wrong, I'm actually very excited for that, but we're doing trailers at the end and the beginning of the movie now? No, 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 yeah, no. That's... Unnecessary. <laughs> yeah, I, I wanted to get out of that theater after seeing Woody Harrelson's Chucky-ass wig on his head. Oh, yeah, he did look like <laughs> As soon as they revealed him, I was like, who thought that was a good right. idea? Are you kidding me? Why did me? you pay him for a day of work? Like, who put that on him? Why does he need to pay for that day of work? Like, what? what does he <laughs> owe that he needs to appear in a cameo for a Venom movie? <laughs> yeah, oh, I mean, God. I guess Solo really did bomb that bad. <laughs> Jesus, like, th- that is the worst oh. wig I've ever seen on a pretty darn good actor. <laughs> yeah, as soon as he looked up, I'm like, why does he have, like, this red afro going on? What is happening here? Like, are you kidding me? They, he came out of hair and makeup, and the set went, all right, yeah, good, let's roll. <laughs> they didn't even polish it at no! all. No! They picked the no! wig. No! <laughs> all right, whatever. Um, it's, it's confirmation about? that Sony has plans for more, and uh, we're honestly just along for the ride at that point, I think. Are You You can't I be serious. So. They really ended the movie with a trailer for a movie that I had seen a trailer for before the movie started? It wasn't, it was a full, like, scene as opposed to a trailer. But again, no reason to put that at the end of your movie. Release it online. Um, Jake, hmm. I know you had you were very pointed that you thought the third act was a train wreck. I just, I really, I didn't think Carnage was just going to be a third act thing because Woody Harrelson's such a big actor. I thought for sure he'd actually show up in the movie. So all of a sudden, Carlton Drake is the villain in this movie. He gets, he's the CEO of this big time space company. And the thing that takes him over is a symbiote called Riot. Riot versus Venom was one of the worst final fight scenes I think I've ever seen. It's just a couple of blobs doing things on a darkly lit set with CG. Like Christopher Nolan would have an aneurysm. <laughs> I, I was like, what? How, post-production people and Ruben Fleischer, guys, what are we doing? How did you allow this? <laughs> this is visually assaulting on the eyes. It looks awful. It highlights one of the worst aspects of the entire movie, and that is the fact that all of the action p- takes place in the dark always at night 
always in darkly lit rooms or misty rooms like I talked about earlier in that foggy fight scene. It's a black character. Venom is a dark-colored character. You can't show him in the dark or you're not going to see anything. And when you combine that with the grayish, whitish blob in Riot's character, all you have is people just throwing paint on the screen. And it looks atrocious. (laughs) Yeah, it's just mesh. Nate, Nate, I was thinking of you. I'm like, Nate's having a field day with this. (laughs) Yeah, and we know why they set it at night because the CGI probably is not good enough to be shown in full light. You know, in harsh light, he would look like crap. Even worse than he looks. I mean, like, Venom himself looked fine, but Riot looked terrible. Yeah, I didn't like Riot's yeah. design at all. He looked like a like a pterodactyl or something. He looked was like, terrible. you know, the robot from the day that Earth stood still? Like, the big silver one? Yeah, yeah, if yeah. If you th- ran that through Photoshop and just did, like, a ripple effect, uh, uh, that's Riot. <laughs> th- that's pretty good. Yeah, that's really good. Yeah, it looked like, like, again, we're going back to, like, 2003 superhero movies. It looked like effects from Daredevil. It looked like effects from yeah, Ghost Rider. It was a mess. It just was messy. Yeah. The whole act, too. Whole ending. Whole, like, last 40 minutes was just, like, what's going on. Right. Like, I get I get why Riot wanted to leave. He wanted to bring all the other symbiotes back so they could take over the world. But, right. like, Riz Ahmed, like, okay, humans suck. You can be a pompous dick about it, but you're really on board with this? Like, yep. you just met him. Like, and that's the <laughs> other thing. That six-month jump makes... It makes no sense when the the little Asian girl makes it to him. Like, it took them six months to get from Asia to San Francisco? Like, what was he doing that whole time? No, dude, I was I was dying. When the little girl, the like, little blonde girl that is holding Riot just strolls into the lab and walks up to him, I was After like... After we've is had this... two break-ins in the same lab in the same right. movie. <laughs> they have no security cameras at this place. That. <laughs> they might have security cameras, but no one's manning them because it takes them 15 minutes to find Jenny Slate. And from like, from a from a writing standpoint, I was like, this is really how they're gonna give the head symbiote riot to Carlton Drake. A little girl just strolls in and hands it to him. There could have been a million other better ways to do this. And he just happens to be strolling in the same hallway too. Like, right? Hey, little girl, where'd you come from? Oh my God, symbiote! What? That was how you decided to go about this, right? Oh. And Jenny Slate's <laughs> whole character is just there to get Tom Hardy back involved in the action. Like, yeah. You could rewrite this movie completely and just have it that, like, you know what? He gets fired, but he decides to break in himself. You know what I mean? Like, Or, like, right. give Michelle Williams' character something to do. Right. Yeah, <laughs> right. Oh, boy. Uh, the whole third act. Like, okay. Why is the main character's motivation, uh, being Venom here, to stay on Earth because he's a loser back on his own planet? See, Who I thought that was hilarious. Okay, it's funny i thought that was so funny (laughs) i'm just picturing venom being like fucking picked on by other symbiotes (laughs) like i think the whole fun part about venom is that he does whatever the hell he wants to do and like oh he wants to stay on earth because his feelings get hurt on his home planet like what the fuck (laughs) i feel like there there could be more to it than that but i know what you mean i had checked out of the movie at that point and yeah i smiled when he said it because it was funny in the moment but any sort of tension that had been building for all that was just gone. Because it was just it was just full dumb movie now. We were a spoof of Venom, not an actual Venom movie anymore. <laughs> for for me, I could kind of see it because like like I guess, you know, 
Eddie Brock now has this Venom power and Venom now has this power attached to him and together they're just, they seem to be working really well on this planet. So I, I kind of got that. But as far as like, I don't know, the other motivation of Carlton Drake, I was like that, they're a pretty big leap. I get that humans are weaker than these things, but you're just going to extinct us because of it. Remember how big of a deal the first half of the movie made about people like being perfect, bonding with symbiotes and stuff, and you see all the homeless people that they're taking off the streets. Yeah. By the way, that was another weird way to get Tom Hardy involved in the action. Like, the only reason he opens that door is to save the homeless woman he just happened to know. Like, okay, what a ancillary thing. But that's beside the point. The big point that they made was that, like, you know, if the symbiote isn't a, like, perfect match, it will kill you. So then what What made the writers go, oh, uh, Michelle Williams will just wear Venom for a while, and then they'll make out, and she'll just hand them back with no problem whatsoever. Like, okay. All fan service, man. To see the she venom for two seconds. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. I mean, I, I guess maybe she didn't wear it that long. It was just like a couple hours thing. I don't know. Yeah, but we saw the 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 like the homeless people get torn apart in seconds. It, yeah, like a minute. It's true. Yeah, I don't know. Don't look yeah. at me, man. Yeah, and I don't think they they didn't either. That's, <laughs> the, that's the big problem. I feel like that's a lot of this movie's problems. The <laughs> the writers, yeah. the editors, the producers—they all just said, well. This doesn't work, but we need to show this one scene somehow, so here we go. <laughs> and I think they'll like it anyway, so. <laughs> right. So, what's yeah. up with the one, like, Carlton Drake's head of security, first of all, he looks exactly like Bill Burr. That was bothering me the entire time. Yeah, movie. yeah, I thought so too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, at first I thought it was him, but, like, he just, like, develops this, like, odd grudge all of a sudden against Venom. By the time you have to say, like, who are you, like, he has this big, like, obsessed cop thing going on with Venom. It's weird. It's like, again, underdeveloped characters. And it comes and goes. All over the place. Like, we don't really see him again after that. Yeah, exactly. Right. So, I don't know. As I mean, as far as positives go, I think the only thing we can touch on for the next couple minutes before we, you know, probably should wrap this up, um, how, how fun Tom Hardy and Venom are together. Like, when... So, Tom Hardy in the movie, or Eddie Brock, has a fear of heights, and Venom wants him to jump out of a window as an escape route, and Tom Hardy's like, no way, I'm afraid of heights. And they cut to Venom going, pussy. I was like, that's really funny. I can go with that. That is some almost like a, not buddy cop, but like, kind of like a buddy cop duo that I was actually enjoying. And one of the, really the only parts of the movie that I was enjoying. Yeah, it's like a, it's a comical version of the Gollum Smeagol back and forth. Yeah, yeah, kind of. Or, mm-hmm. or you like, I mean, obviously the root of that is Jekyll and Hyde, but like. Right, yeah. Yeah, it, it was enjoyable. Those were the best parts. And when Venom makes him go yeah. crazy. Like, when he's he's always hungry, so he just starts chugging tater tots. He knocks himself out in the bathroom. He, like, freaks the fuck out of his neighbor. He's bathing with lobsters. Like, just all <laughs> yeah. those things, those all little touches. I hated that scene. Yeah. You, God. I liked it. Because I, I was just like, that was another moment where I was like, oh, okay. I, I If you had asked, if you had pulled me before <laughs> this movie, I would not have said that scene existed. <laughs> like, this, that was actually a point where in the theater I started going, Oh no, am I going to be the guy to defend this movie? Oh no, don't tell me I'm this guy. I really don't want to be this guy. <laughs> and I eventually wasn't, obviously, but yeah. there were there were points when Eddie Brock and Venom combined really made me go like, "All right, this Oh yeah. That's fun. It's the only fun, the, but the it's fun, fun pep talks that they have essentially. Like Venom's Venom's kind of like your id if you're going to go the psychologist route where he's just like, mm-hmm. "Whatever I want to do, right. let's do it." And Eddie is just trying to like hold him back. And that just makes for some fun back and forth because obviously the other characters in the movie aren't aware of the conversations going on in your head. 
and and it works. It absolutely works, and I feel like that kind of dynamic, even with Tom Hardy again, if he comes back in a sequel, or um, God forbid they add this to the MCU in some way, don't look at me there. Oh man, you know um, they want to. Like that works, and like that's like a nice little sphere of safety from the poop that we're slinging at this movie from all other angles. <laughs> right. Um, all right, we have to start wrapping up here because yes. we have a whole other yeah, review to do. Um, let's let's start. Nate, why don't you start with final thoughts this time around? Yep. This is a bad movie. It is a damp lawn chair. The redeeming quality is Tom Hardy playing as Eddie Brock and Venom. The third act really just sets this movie completely down. I was almost willing to give it a wooden seat up until I think the hospital scene. And then that was my breaking point. And everything after that, is a sloppy, inky, oily mess from the rest rest of the movie onward, all the way over to the very last post credit scene. Uh, not not a recommendation for me, but definitely a once in a lifetime kind of movie. I'll give you that. <laughs> we used a lot of gross adjectives there. You're welcome. <laughs> Go ahead, Jake. Um, yeah, I mean Nate, Nate and I aren't always quite on the same page about this stuff, but pretty much ditto. The movie's really not very good. But Tom Hardy is so good that he almost fools you into thinking the movie's pretty good. Like, that's how good Tom Hardy is. He's so good that the movie almost feels good. But no, it's not really well directed. It's not particularly well written. It's decently acted, followed by Tom Hardy doing just great work. Um, I don't know. A lot of people are seeing this. They're going to continue to see it, and that's fine. But I really hope if they get us a sequel, please get it right. And Tom Hardy, just keep doing what you're doing. Right, and I would watch a sequel with Tom Hardy in it. But I would need to... I would need them to pick someone besides Ruben Fleischer. Like, I don't want them to see the box office results and be like, oh, yeah, he did a great job. He did not. Um, <laughs> right. This movie is not a good movie. It just happens to have one of the best actors in the planet starring in it. Doing uh, great. Who takes everything around him and makes it better. It's not one of the worst movies I've seen this year because I've seen a lot of bad movies. But it is not even close to, like, top five of superhero movies I've seen this year. Like, oh, boy. It's probably bottom tier for superhero movies, not like Catwoman bad or anything like that, but it's in that Ghost Rider Daredevil tier. I think it's a little better than those, but yeah, I don't recommend seeing it in theaters. I do recommend fast-forwarding to the parts that you want to see maybe on Blu-ray. And for God's sakes, get rid of Woody Harrelson's wig. Yeah, hopefully that they'll have actual (laughs) budget and he'll, yeah. Anyway, that will do it for our review of Venom. We went on a little bit long, but we still have a very big movie to talk about. Let's rock to our review of A Star is Born. Can I ask you a personal question? Do you write songs or anything? I don't sing my own songs. Why? Almost every single person has told me they like the way I sounded, but that they didn't like the way I look. In all the good times I find myself longing. That was the trailer for A Star is Born, the fourth remake, or fourth adaptation of the same movie, I should say. The original came out in 1937, then there was a 1954 musical version with Judy Garland, that's uh, 
Dorothy from Wizard of Oz for you movie novices. Uh, and then the most recent version came out in 1976. It starred Barbara Streisand and Chris Christopherson. This new version, which is becoming like kind of a generational story, it seems like, it is the directorial debut of Bradley Cooper. Uh, it also stars Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga. Bradley plays Jackson Maine. He's this kind of like burnt-out rock star. And he meets Allie. Uh, they fall in love. Allie rises to fame, but they have some complications that they have to go through. Now, this movie has been getting thunderous reviews. It's had a lot of Oscar buzz since it came out of the festival circuit uh, for Gaga, for Cooper, for his direction, uh, even all the way up to Best Picture. And it's basically been billed as like an event. Long time ago when this was first put on the calendar, a lot of people thought like, oh, it would just be some counter-programming to Venom. But no, this was as big an event this weekend for a lot of people as Venom was, which made me think it had a chance of possibly winning the weekend. But no, it had to settle for only $40 million, which is ridiculous in its own right. Guys, there's a lot of hype behind this one. It's kind of the unofficial kickoff to Oscar season. Nate, what did you think of A Star is Born? A Star is Born delivered. Like... I, I have not seen any of the originals. I don't think any of us have. Nope. But, nope. like, this had one of the most hyped trailers leading up to the movie that just inspired a lot of people. And the movie delivered. Lady Gaga was really, really good. And Bradley Cooper was amazing. Both on a directorial side and an acting side. They just embody the characters. They develop the relationship so well. And there are inspiring moments, there are depressing moments, there are some powerful, powerful scenes that I wasn't expecting, and it honestly knocked my socks off. Like, I was pretty floored of just how well this all came together. All right. Jake, what did you think? Nice. Nate, we might go two for two today. Um, yeah, I, <laughs> I was expecting to like it based on the reviews. And the trailers looked really good. I've heard only good things about it. But I went in and I I was still very, very happy with, with what I saw. I, I kind of loved it. Like, I thought it was really, really great. I thought it was just all around solid. I mean, not not quite perfect, but very, very happy with it. I thought Lady Gaga was excellent. Um, her and Bradley Cooper had amazing chemistry. They both absolutely crushed their roles. And I think, what a great directorial debut. Every time they did something musically either separate or together, it worked. I thought he did a great job directing the, the musical scenes as well as the dialogue scenes. They both nailed, you know, happy, sad, inspiring, depressed, um, all around in between. And even even some cameo scenes that I don't know if it's a spoiler or not, but there were some people that I didn't expect to be in there that, that did a good job just, just all around. I thought it was really, really good. Really, really good. I'd see it again. I was very happy with it. Hmm, interesting. Um, I liked it a lot. I did. I think I'm the low man out of the three of us. Uh, for me, the movie is really, really good, but it's not quite great for me. And I'll delve more into that as we go along. Um, so it's if it sounds like I'm being argumentative at any point in this review, I'm not trying to be because I I did really like it. I think it's a very good movie. And let's get into like some of the positives that I had with like. Like you guys have said, their chemistry, this movie lives and dies on the chemistry of its two leads, and they've just got it. Like, you can tell that the two of them balanced each other really well. Uh, there were reports, of course, that Lady Gaga helped Bradley Cooper with his singing. I, I thought Bradley Cooper sounded really good as a singer, Yeah, by I the thought way. he was solid. He uh, took music lessons for a full year. Right. Oh, wow. Which is good. I mean, he should have. It pays off. Yeah. 
and she helped him with his acting. And both of those things show. Uh, she gives a really great, really powerful performance here. And you can tell there are inklings of her real-life experiences in here, which makes it so much easier for her to embody this character. But he is just—this may be his best performance. He is so good in this, uh, having to deal with just a gamut of emotions that he has to go through. Yeah. And like you said, it is this big emotional roller coaster. And that rise and fall, the ups and downs, are mostly enjoyable to watch. And when I say enjoyable, I'm not saying, like, always positive. You know what I mean? It's engaging is what I mean. It's always engaging. Mm -hmm. Um, Weaknesses that I have are kind of first-time director things, I think. He is very – he's very reliant on, like, close-ups and stuff to the point where it gets, like, he kind of abuses it. It's his directorial visual style. You're right. He does nail the musical performances. But, like, in basic scenes, I kind of disagree that, like – you know, he needs a little work with just shooting and framing shots. But that comes with first directing stuff. Mm-hmm. The storytelling is a little clunky. That's partially the script's fault. It's a little bit too long for me. It gets a bit repetitive at yeah, points. That was one of the things I was gonna say. I think it's it's you know, maybe maybe you could have used like a five to eight minute cut or something like that. Like it's two fifteen, maybe cut it down to two oh five or something like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just just slightly too long. Like drags just a hair a little bit here and there. It's not totally egregious, but there are spots where I could picture in my mind where it could be, you know, snipped a little bit. This is a movie that kind of, it prioritizes, and there's nothing wrong with this. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with this. It prioritizes emotion over, like, story. And, you know, that's kind of to be expected given how character-driven it is. It's almost the point of the movie, yeah. Right, exactly. At the same time, though... There are flaws in how the story is told, and I'll get more into that when we get into our spoiler section, and it has to do with the way the script is structured and the way the story visually and through dialogue is told, but I'm trying to keep that vague. Uh, Jake, you said you think it was too long. Nate, did you have any glaring issues at all? I actually do kind of uh, agree with you guys on the length. It's an odd mix because I feel like plot-wise, the first half of this movie almost feels rushed. And I think kind of intentionally so, because the movie is called A Star is Born. And you start off with Bradley Cooper's character meeting Lady Gaga's character and the sudden shoot to stardom. And it happens lightning fast. And it's kind of supposed to, because it literally is her life changing in an instant. Yeah. And all of a sudden she's famous and getting record deals. And it's meant to be a whirlwind. Uh, But because of that, the pacing of the movie feels rushed in those areas. And then when you get to the meat of the movie, which are these emotional tender scenes between the two leads, sometimes they feel like they go on a little too long. And that's when you feel like, okay, I want to move on to the the next thing. I want to see how this character and this character get along now. Like, we're just spending a little bit too much time on the in-between moments. Yeah. So... There's there's definitely, like, a little bit of pacing to play with here, um, but not not to the point where it ruins the movie by any stretch. Like, I could right. even argue no more than four minutes, and a world of difference would have been seen. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, as far as, like, length goes, just, just a little bit too long. Like, I found just a couple scenes dragging just slightly, but um, other than that, I think problem-wise, just ever so slightly length and slightly pacing and... A little Oscar baity, just a little. It's got this beautiful. It's a really, really great movie, but it's a little, little flashy, a little look at me, a little, whatever that I can see a lot of people going like, you know, hands on their cheeks, like wow, right, 
Which I like kind of to circle back around to Nate, what Nate was saying about why the shooting up of stardom. That's kind of the point of it being flashy. You know, it's this big bombastic. Right. Like I said, it's an event exactly. movie. You know, it's a show business movie. Yeah. It's going to it's going right, to be right. almost meta in that point. Um, and it can definitely seem Oscar Beatty because it's talking about production. And that happens in these kind of movies all the time. And I don't see that as a flaw here at all. And I was nervous that like you're talking about the meta aspects. That that started the moment they cast Lady Gaga. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. The fact that they cast someone that probably had a similar story to the character that they're playing already gives it this real life quality and this big bombastic quality to it. I was just so very pleasantly happy that her casting was more than just stunt casting. Like, no, she actually can act and right, really yeah. well. Right. I actually think it was a pretty good PR move uh, for them. Or I don't know if PR move is right, but because she's not an acclaimed actress, it got buzz going. And she has such a huge music following. Right. Her fan base is crazy. People. Like her fan yeah, base is yes. so rabid to the point where they were attacking Venom over the week. <laughs> her little monsters. Yeah, I saw that. <laughs> I think the only way it could have gotten worse is if they cast Taylor Swift. Oh, man. Oh. <laughs> that would have been worse. But yeah, Lady Gaga. So not only was, you know, was she a pretty good cast, a very good cast musically, she, I think, nailed like all her acting. You know, she looked like she'd been in the business for a while. Like she looked, I thought she was really, really great. Yeah. This might sound like a backhanded compliment, but I mean it in the complete opposite way. I think one of the biggest flaws of the movie for me was that we didn't see more of Lady Gaga in the third act of this movie. I agree. There's a very definite tone shift where we really start to see things less as the couple developing and more of Bradley Cooper's character reconciling with Lady Gaga's character's fame. And that works, and all that works really, really well. But I, I was missing Lady Gaga. I wanted to see how she was reacting to certain things, and we were just so focused on uh, Jackson Maine's story that Allie's story was almost not quite backburner, but sideburner. Right. No, that's a good way to put it. Like she went from co-star to side character, and that's okay given what they were doing at the moment. But yeah, like right, what was happening. it felt like they went from sharing the movie to, you know, it became a little bit more his his thing. Mm-hmm. And again, I don't really consider it like a huge flaw in the movie per se, because at that point, what they do with Jackson Maine's character arc becomes the movie. And that's really powerful in its own right. Right. I just wish we could have had that. And more of Lady Gaga's character. Right. Like, it, like it kind of needed to happen. And I think she gets some of it back in the end as well. Absolutely. Um, so I don't, like you said, I don't really see it as an issue either. But I, I know what you mean. Right. And I do see it as, like, a bit of an issue. Just because, as we were talking about, the things that these this movie has to balance and the issue of tone and length at points, it's all tied in together. There's not, like, many things I can pinpoint, like, that's wrong. It's just not perfectly executed and i wasn't expecting it to be Mm -hmm. it's just it that's what knocks it down a tier for me and Mm -hmm. to go over those tiers we'd have to get into ratings here i think that's a good segue to get into the ratings and then we can move to spoilers uh nate what would you give a star is born right uh i am going to go plush recliner here i thoroughly enjoyed the movie and would definitely recommend anybody see it out because it yeah this is a crowd pleaser too it's not only a crowd pleaser, um, but it wasn't the feel-good movie that I thought it was going to be. It tackles some serious issues that caught me off guard, 
and really made the movie much more than a blockbuster. It was it was an experience, and it was a really well-told story that deserves to be seen and heard because it sounds amazing. Definitely would recommend. In terms of why it's not getting a royal throne, it's it's just not quite at the groundbreaking level that I feel like it needs to be. The story is told incredibly well, but we've seen this character in a different movie. We've seen uh, we've seen this arc take place in other films, and by that standard alone, this movie just wasn't novel enough for me to be a royal throne. That said, in terms of what it did and what it tried to do, it accomplished it almost spot only. Jake, <laughs> I'm I'm pretty much there also. Um, during the movie, there were points where I'm like, this is really pretty amazing. I was dabbling a royal throne, but after sitting with it for like, you know, a couple nights or so, it doesn't quite get there for me either. It's a really beautifully made plush recliner with bag of popcorn. I would definitely say see this in the theater. Oh, absolutely. Um, I really loved all the musical scenes. I thought they nailed the musical scenes, especially the first duet. I thought it was beautiful. Absolutely beautiful first duet. But yeah, I I would say it's uh, it really does do exactly what it needs to do. It tackles some really hard points and tackles them well. It just kind of misses this groundbreaking, mind-blowing scale to get to a royal throne. It just kind of misses that extra oomph that it would need for me. Um, but still beautiful. I'd love, I will absolutely see it again. Whether in theaters or not, I will see it again probably pretty soon. So I thought it was great. Performances, directing, writing overall, just really, really rock-solid movie. And you just kind of alluded to the really highs of highs for me with this movie. Um, it's where everything comes together. The musical performances, because you see their chemistry and Cooper's direction, any kind of criticism I might have about its novice level, which is to be expected, it's his first time, any criticisms of that goes out the window because he knows when to linger on the two of them. He's able to get the best performances musically out of both him and Lady Gaga. Those moments are just euphoric. They're awesome. They're like some of the best movie moments of the year. The movie itself is really good. It's a really well-made really well-told, emotional, crowd-pleasing, Oscar-y drama with some great musical elements, some really great performances. It's just got some small but important things that kind of just put it on a different level for me than some of my favorite movies of the year. Like, I was going through and I put it in my list and it like didn't even crack the tw- top 25 because some of these issues are glaring enough for me. And I can I see a lot more movies than you guys, so that's... Way too many movies. <laughs> yes, well, yeah, yes. More than but, me. Um, anyway, I'm not going to quite go plush recliner. I'm going to go really, really polished, made out of some like legendary guitars that like Bruce Springsteen used to rock on. A really polished, really nice wooden seat. Boo. Your adjectives make it sound better than a plush recliner. A uh, legendary guitar seat? Well, you can still get a splinters <laughs> on a wooden seat. You can't get a splinter on a plush recliner. <laughs> you can have a spring poking out of a plush recliner, I suppose. But okay. All right. Well, then we're going to have to think of something else. <laughs> we're, getting, we're getting into chair. We're, we're getting into semantics. Um, that'll do it for our non-spoiler review of A Star is Born. If you have not seen the movie and you haven't seen the other versions and you don't want to know how it ends because they pretty much – it pretty much is very similar in the structure of the other movies based on what I've read. Uh, still tune out now. If you have seen the movie, join us in our spoiler section. Whoa! Oh, spoiler alert. Spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! Excuse me, spoiler alert! So guys, we've got two separate emotional through lines going throughout this film. And sometimes they're warring with each other. 
there's the story of the rise to fame uh, and dealing with fame and how fame corrupts you as an artist. That kind of not takes a back burner, but becomes kind of secondary in the third act to the addiction story. Um, and I mean, it's all kind of weaved together, but at the same time, there are elements for me where they set up like Lady Gaga's character. She's having all these big moments in her life happening. And she's slowly getting away from the root of what she was doing when she first started. And there is some interesting commentary that could be told there that's kind of dropped because they have to go over Bradley Cooper's, like, fight with addiction. And that's what we were talking about, kind of co-leads their own conflicts versus it all becomes about Bradley Cooper's conflict. Do you guys agree with that? Do you see what I'm saying? Yep, I, I absolutely agree. And I think that was the the only real hole in the story for me is just... I wish those tied together better than they did. But that said, it's realistic. One problem doesn't solve another problem. Like, people deal with their own things at their own times. And I would have just liked to see both of those stories play out to their completion rather than ignoring it entirely. Right. And you could also argue that there's a point to that where, like, addiction is so encompassing that it basically takes everybody's life over. Other things take a back burner to trying to fix addiction. Mm-hmm. Like, you could argue that. Um, I don't know if I particularly think that that made this a stronger movie, but, you know, like, you can argue that's why mm-hmm. he did what he did. Sure, but I think it's just important that we talk about the ending of the movie. Bradley Cooper's character, uh, Jackson Maine, commits suicide and obviously is just full stop on everything that's been going on to the movie at this point and it's a tough scene because you you get hints that it's coming because like when he goes through rehab he talks about how he was suicidal but that does not take away just how much of a gut punch that ending was like well, and, and for the, the reasoning too mm-hmm. yeah and that's what i love the most about it because he decides to take his life not because he's jealous of ali's success he does it because he's convinced that if he stays a part of her life that he's just gonna drag her down with him and that's just it's just powerful stuff like yeah. it's it's a realistic view of how people with depression view themselves and it takes the whole audience watching that scene and just rips any heartstrings that they have left at that movie at that point like it it was a hard hard yeah. And well executed scene to watch. Yeah, I like that you you said that about depression because it's he really did believe that for her career to keep moving forward, he could not be around anymore, and that's just true or not. That's heartbreaking. I mean, how it is how awfully heartbreaking. Yeah, yeah, and the last ten minutes from a performance standpoint, it rests entirely on Gaga. Like she needs to make sure that that works, and yeah, she nails it. She's great. She runs again. Running the gamut of emotions, she goes from anger to just complete despair to uplifting empowerment that, like, she she does a great job. Yeah. And that final shot change from her performing at the funeral to the two of them on the piano. Yeah, oh, that I was good. That. I like how they withheld that. That. That, was, then. that was solid. Yeah, A-plus moment. Beautiful. Like, fantastic editing, fantastic direction. Like, that scene is now iconic in my eyes yeah i i was like what a what a i don't know if that's in uh cooper as a director or if it's written or if that's an editing thing but whoever decided on that beautiful job. i think it's probably a Absolutely. cooper thing cooper also co-wrote the movie for the record 
he had a big hand in making sure that the how the adaptation uh, went. This movie, they've been trying mm-hmm. to get this off the ground for a while. They had a lot of different crews come together and try to make it. Uh, actors like Brad Pitt were attached to it at one point. Christian Bale was attached to it at one point. DiCaprio, oh. Tom Cruise, like, pretty much any big name. I'm glad it's settled on this team. This is a good team to do it. Yeah, and apparently uh, Cooper was the one that was fighting for Gaga. Apparently some producers were like, no, she's got no acting credentials, and he was like, no, she's the one we need for this role. Right, because she understands it the most. And again, that rocket to the lows of the end of the movie are so well in juxtaposition with the like the the highs of her rise to fame. Um, I do have some problems with how the rise to fame happens. We talked about how it's a little bit rushed, and that's okay for the most part. But there are like some major things that like they do this three or four times, where like her manager will come up to her and be like, "Good news, you're hosting SNL." good news you've been nominated for three grammys and it's like okay can we show things can we we don't have to we don't have to have it just dictated to her what's going on in her life like we need to we need to have some visual i almost wonder if that's how it feels though i actually think that might have been on purpose like that's how that's her life right now just being things being thrown at her Eh, i I don't know if i can buy that i think you're projecting a little bit on that point i don't know because that manager has a lot of control over her that's how i got it and that's i think the real issue is not so much that it happens quickly, but the fact that we don't see her reaction to how much her life is changing. Because at that point, we're focused more on Bradley Cooper's addiction story. We don't see, does she feel conflicted that she's uh, kind of selling out leading up to her performance at SNL with like the regular old pop song as opposed to like the soul rock that she's been doing up to this point. We don't really get that reaction. No, we don't see a little bit of pushback um, at the beginning about like dyeing her hair, but it it pretty Mm -hmm. much fades from there and doesn't really come back until that final funeral scene where she's fully realized her identity. You know where I think they kind of bring it back and I actually really, really, it's a tough scene, but I really enjoyed that they threw it in there because I do feel like this personally when they have that fight where she's in the bathtub yes. and I mean he went about it in a completely wrong way but I really do feel uh, feel this way about this why is songs about shaking your butt getting a Grammy nomination now he went about it in the wrong way yeah, no, by he was insulting a dick about her. it he was a total dick yeah no he was a drunk and he went about it the wrong way so like she just needed the support from him and he felt like he was selling out and they just were fighting about it and I really really enjoyed that argument I feel like that kind of brought us back to it because like yeah. she was just you know what swept up in this fame and he kind of came in and was like look at yourself in the mirror for a minute yeah is this really you right. is this what you want and me, now he was awful about it but you know the argument was really interesting i really really enjoyed the the dialogue there i love that scene um because yes bradley cooper's character was an asshole but it encapsulated all the themes that the movie was trying to build up to that point mm. he had a point that he wanted to say but his alcohol just couldn't make the words come out in the right order. And he was just struggling to say how he felt. And that's realistic. Yeah. yeah. And having a fight like that end in the way that it did, where they don't make up immediately afterward, like, that's real. That was raw. That was really good. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I love that. And especially because, like, she started off writing these beautiful songs on piano and everything, and it turned into just a pop song with, with no substance to it. And that really bothered him deep down. And I just, I loved all that. I love that whole thing. Yeah. I can't believe we've gone this long without mentioning Sam Elliott, who I think gives a really good supportive <laughs> performance. <laughs> Sam Elliott. He does a really good job as yeah. Bradley Cooper's very, well very older brother. Yeah, which took me by surprise. Right. He's a guy that, like, 
you know, he's dealt with his addiction for years, and he's past the point where Gaga's at right now where, you know, Allie's forgiving everything and trying to be, like, smart and strong for her husband. And he's just, he's seen this for years, and he knows that there's a routine to it. And it causes yeah. real problems. And also the resentment that he used to be a musician too. That was a nice little wrinkle to it. Yeah. And he has one of the biggest important talks at the end of the movie with Allie, basically saying, like, this is not your fault. This is his fault. Like, it is. Mm-hmm. You cannot put this burden on yourself. Yeah. Loki, one of my favorite shots in the movie as well is when uh, Cooper's character is out of rehab and, like, he can't even look his brother in the eye, but he needs to say it. I'm sorry for what I did to you. And I always looked up to you, not our dad. Yeah, that was right. good. And that shot of him, like, just revving up, trying to hold back tears, that was really, really And the way they abruptly stuff. cut from yeah. that, too, that was well edited. Exactly. All right, we got to we gotta start to wrap up here, guys. We're, we're yep. running long here. Uh, <laughs> Nate, let's do final thoughts here. Yeah. A Star is Born absolutely sells it. Like, it is a really touching story, really powerful story. I highly recommend everybody see it honestly um and i think it just lives up to the hype that this trailer brought up like i have been humming that part where lady gaga is just singing the ahs but like no words from yeah, the, the trailer ah, like in my head that yeah, yeah i'm not gonna try to sing it because i'm no good but um <sighs> but like that kind of emotion is just omnipresent throughout the entire experience like just pure raw characters with real emotions, realistic emotions, and it just works. I I thoroughly enjoyed this movie. Jake? Ah, oh, hell yeah. Blonde Beard Boys, two for two. Um, Amen. <laughs> yeah, I I can see some arguments saying it's a little little too cheesy, a little too flashy, it's unoriginal. Um, and if you feel that way, fine. But for me, I think the execution is good enough for it to feel new and fresh and strong and all these other things. I think it's really, really... Um, beautiful story. I think it's really well told. Both performances are some of the best of the year. I think it's a great debut for Bradley Cooper as a director. Um, and just overall, while maybe not perfect, really, really great. Um, and yeah, I think everybody can get something out of it and you know, definitely go to the theaters to see it. It's, it's a crowd pleaser done right, in my opinion. Um, just the style of Lady Gaga as a performer made her a perfect fit for this role. She's always been theatrical. She's always been bombastic. She's always had a, like a inkling for the spotlight. This isn't Lord. This isn't like Sia, who doesn't even want you to see her face. Lady Gaga wants to be seen. And that quality made her just such a great fit for a movie about a person who is just trying to bust out and be seen. A Star is Born is a really good movie. It's really well directed, acted. Their chemistry is infectious. It really is this good start to Oscar season. It's not a perfect film, but I would absolutely recommend it, especially if you're looking forward to it. Give Gaga a shot if you're skeptical because she will prove you wrong. And that will do it for our review of A Star is Born. That will do it for this week's episode of the Middle Seats Podcast. Nate Longarini, before we go, where can they find us on the internet? Alrighty, here's how you can get in touch with us. Please like, comment, and subscribe to our YouTube channel, The Middle Seats. You can also listen to us on the go on both SoundCloud and iTunes. For any questions, comments, and updates on the show, keep an eye on our Facebook and Twitter, both at The Middle Seats. If you like what you hear and you want to see more content, let us know and spread the word. 
If you have not checked out our spinoff show, Freeze Frame, yet, be sure to check it out where we jump in a time capsule and we talk about a movie related to the movie that we're reviewing this week. If you have not checked it out yet, our most latest episode was about Spider-Man 3, where we talked about, of course, the only other on-screen appearance of Venom that has come out. Next week, we'll be talking about on the spinoff show, Cabin in the Woods, that great horror comedy by Drew Goddard, because... Next week, we're expected to have probably another double review because this is another big week coming up. We will have Bad Times at the El Royale, the Drew Goddard original, Murder Mystery, and we will have Damien Chazelle, his follow-up to La La Land, First Man with Ryan Gosling, where Ryan Gosling played Neil Armstrong. That will do it for us tonight on the Middle Seats Podcast. For Jake Hensler and Nate Longarini, I'm Andrew Auger. Keep that seat warm, everyone. We'll be back soon. 